0: two, passengers had been signed and sealed, added to the more practical triviality of three-fourths of the charge being paid down, and then our captain, to add to the dilemma, vociferously yelled to us, in some unknown jargon which got on our nerves terribly, that he was waiting for a, lucky, day to raise anchor, however, we did, as the reader will be able to imagine, eventually get away, amid the firing of countless deafening crackers, after having watched the sacrifice of a cop to the god of the river, with the invocation that we might be kept in safety, pulling and rowing through a maze of junks, our little floating caravan, with the two magnates on board, and their pickle of rice, their curry and their sugar, and slenderest outfits, bowled along under plain sail, the foredeck packed with a motley team of somewhat dirty and ill federal trackers, who whistled and helloed the peculiar hello of the upper Yangtze for more wine, the little township of Ichon was soon left astern, and we entered speedily to all intents and purposes into a new world, a world entrammeled by conventionalism and the spirit of the West. Footnotes, footnote A, this was written at the time I was in Hankow, when I revised my copy. After I had spent a year and a half rubbing along with the natives in the interior, I could not suppress a smile at my impressions of a great city like Hankow. Since then I have seen more native life. And more native bird. EJD. Second journey ICHANG to Chongqing. Through the YANG EZ Gorges Chapter II. Gloom in each on gorge. Lightning's effect. Traveler's fear. Impressive introduction to the gorges. Both gets into a Yangtze fashion. Storm and its weird effects. Pen, Walk it island heavenly electricity and its vagaries. Beautiful evening scene. Despite heavy rain. Bedding soaked. Sleek in a burr Gorges and Niagara Falls compared. Bad descriptions of Yangtze. World of eternity. Man's significant insignificance. Life on board briefly described. Philosophy of travel. Houseboat life not luxurious. Lose our only wash basin. Remarks on the boy. A change in the kitchen. Questionable soup. Fairly low temperature. Troubles in the larder. General arrangements on board. Crew sleeping place. Sacking makes a curtain. Journalistic labor is not easy. Rats preponderate. Gorges described statistically deeper and deeper drooped the dull gray gloom, like a curtain falling slowly and impenetrably over all things. A vivid but broken flash of lightning, blazing in a flare of blue and ember, poured livid reflections and illuminated with dreadful distinctness, if only for one ghastly moment, the stupendous cliffs of the Ichon Gorge, whose wall-like steepness suddenly became darkened as black as ink. Thus. With a grand impressiveness, this great gully in the mountains assumed hugely gigantic proportions, stretching interminably from east to west, up to heaven and down to earth, silhouetted to the north against a small remaining patch of golden purple, whose weird glamour seemed awesomely to herald the coming of a new world into being, lasting but for a moment longer, until again the blue blaze quickly cut up the sky into a thousand shreds and tiny silver bars, and then, suddenly, with a vast downswomp. As if some colossal bird were taking the earth under her far outstretching wings, dense darkness fell impenetrable, sooty darkness, that in a moment shut out all light, all power of sight. Then from out the somber heavens deep thunder boomed ominously as the reverberating roar of a pack of hunger-ridden lions, and the two men, aliens in an alien land, stood beneath the tattered matting awning with a peculiar fear and some foreboding. We were tied in fast to the darkened sides of the Great Echon Gorge a magnificent sixteen-mile stretch, opening up the famous gorges on the fourth of the great rivers of the world, which had cleaved its course through a chain of hills, whose perpendicular cliffs form wonderful rock-bound banks, dispelling all thought of the monotony of the lower Yangtze. Upstream we had glided merrily upon a fresh breeze, which bore the warning of a storm. All on board was settling down into a Yangtze fashion. And the barbaric human clamor of our trackers, which now mutteringly died away, was suddenly taken up, as above recorded, and all unexpectedly answered by a grander uproar of deep threatening doom of far-off thunder, encircling tones and semitones of wrath it volleyed gradually through the dark ravines, and, startled by the sound, the two travelers, roused for the first time from their natural engrossment in the common doings of the and, see saw the reflection of the sun on the waters. Now turned to a livid murkiness, deepening with a threatening ink-like aspect as the river rushed voluminously past our tiny floating haven, strangely silenced were we by this weird terror, and watched and listened, chained to the deck by a thousand mingled fears and fascinations, which breathed upon our nerves like a chill wind, as we became accustomed then to the yellow darkness, we beheld about the landscape a spectral look and the sepulchral sound of the moving thunder seemed the half-muffled clang of some great iron-tongue funeral bell. Then came the rain, introduced swiftly by the deafening clatter of another thunder crash that made one stagger like a ship in a wild sea, and we strained our eyes to gaze into a visionary chasm cleaved in twain by the furious lightning, playing upon the face of the unruffled river, with a brilliancy at once awful and enchanting, this singular flitting and wavering of the heavenly electricity. As it flashed haphazardly around all things, through about one an illumination quite indescribable, for hours we sat upon a beam athwart the afterdick, in silence drinking in the strange phenomenon, we watched, after a small feed of curry and rice, long into the dark hours, when the thunder had passed us by, and in the distant booming one could now imagine the lower notes streaming forth from some great solemn organ symphony, the fierce lightning twitched, as it danced in and out the crevices inwards. Outwards, upwards, then finally lost in one downward swoop towards the river, tearing open the liquid blackness with its crystal blade of fire. The rain ceased not, but soon the moon, peeping out from the tops of the jagged wall above us, looking like a soiled, half-melted snowball, shone full down the far-stretching gorge, and now its broad luster shed itself, like powdered silver, over the whole scene so that one could have imagined oneself in the living splendor of some eternal sphere of ethereal sweetness and so it might have been had the rain abetted a curious accompaniment to a moonlight night down it came straight and determined and businesslike in the windless silence dancing like a shower of diamonds of purest brilliance on the background of the placid waters very beautiful reader for a time but would that the rain had been all moonshine glorious was it to revel in for a time but During the weary night watches, in a bed long since soaked through, and one's safest night clothes now the stolid burr with face protected by a twelve cent umbrella, even one's curry and rice saturated to sap with the constant drip, and everything around one rendered cold and uncomfortable enough through a perforation in its slenderest part of the worn out bamboo matting. Ah, it was then, then that one would have foregone with alacrity the dreams of the nomadic life of the wumpan. Our introduction, therefore, to the great gorges of the upper Yangtze to China what the Niagara Falls are to America was not remarkable for its placidity, albeit taken with as much complacency as the occasion allowed, I do not, however, intend to weary or to entertain the reader, as may be, by a long description of the Yangtze gorges, time and time again have they fallen to the imaginative pens of travelers mostly bad or indifferent descriptions, few good, none better, perhaps, than Mrs. Bishop's, But at best they are imaginative they lack reality. It has been said that the world of imagination is the world of eternity, and as of eternity, so of the gorges they cannot be adequately described. As I write now in the Ichon Gorge, I seem veritably to have reached eternity. I seem to have arrived at the bosom of an afterlife, where one's body has ceased to vegetate, and where, in an infinite and eternal world of imagination, one's soul expands with fullest freedom. There seems to exist in this eternal world of an ending rock and invulnerable precipice permanent realities which stand from eternity to eternity, as the oak dies and leaves its eternal image in the seed which never dies, so these grand river-forced ravines, abused and disabused as may be, go on forever, despite the scribblers, and one finds the best in his imagination returning by some back lane to contemplative thought, but as a casual traveler, May I say that the first experience I had of the gorges made me modest, patient, single-minded, conscious of man's significant insignificance, conscious of the unspeakable, wondrous grandeur of this unvisited corner of the world a spot in which blustering, selfish, self-conceited persons will not fare well. Humility and patience are the first requisites in traveling on the upper Yangtze. Reader, for your sake I refrain from a description, but may I for perhaps your sake too, if you would wander hither ere the charm of things as they were in the beginning is still unrobed and unmolested, give you some few impressions of a little of the life grave, gay, but never unhappy which I spent with my excellent company voyager, the other man. It is a part of wisdom, when starting any journey, not to look forward to the end with too much eagerness, hear my gentle whisper that you may never get there, and if you do, congratulate yourself, interest yourself in the progress of the journey, for the present only is yours, each day has its tasks, its rapids, its perils, its glories, its fascinations, its surprises, and if you will lie as we did, its curry and rice, then, if you are traveling with a companion, remember that it is better to yield a little than to quarrel a great deal, most disagreeable and indignified is it anywhere to get into the habit of standing up for what people are pleased to call their little rights but nowhere more so than on the upper Yangtze houseboat. Under the gaze of the Yangtze crew, life is really too short for continual bickering, and to my way of thinking it is far quieter, happier, more prudent and productive of more peace. If one could yield a little of those precious little rights than to incessantly squabble to maintain them. Therefore, from the beginning to the end of the trip, make the best of everything in every way. And I can assure you, if you are not ill-tempered and suffer not from your liver, Nature will open her bosom and lead you by these strange byways into her hidden charms and in adorned recesses of sublime beauty, and eclipsed for their kind anywhere in the world. Think not that the life will be a luxurious houseboat life on the upper Yangtze is decidedly not luxurious, were it not for the magnificence of the scenery and ever-changing outdoor surroundings. As a matter of fact, the long river journey would probably become unbearably dull. Our wumpen was to get through the gorges in as short a time as was possible, and for that reason we traveled in the discomfort of the smallest boat used to face the rapids, people entertaining the smallest idea of doing things travel in nothing short of a quads, the orthodox houseboat, with several rooms and ordinary conveniences. Ours was a wumpen literally five boards, we had no conveniences whatever, and the second morning out we were left without even a wash basin. As I was standing in the stern, I saw it whirling away from us, and inquiring through a peephole, heard the perplexing explanation of my boy, gesticulating violently, he told us how, with the wash basin in his hand, he had been pushed by one of the crew, and how, loosened from his grasp, my toiletware had been gripped by the river and now appeared far down the stream like a large peed, the other man was alarmed at the boy's discomfiture, ejaculated something about the loss being quite irreparable, and with a loud laugh and quite natural hilarity proceeded quietly to use a saucepan as a combined shaving pot and wash basin, it did quite well for this in the morning, and during the day resumed its duty as seat for me at the typewriter, our boy, apart from this small misfortune, comported himself pretty well, his English was understandable, and he could cook anything, he dished us up excellent soup in enameled cups and as we had no ingredients on board so far as we knew to make soup, and as the other man had that day lost an old Spanish tam-o'-shanter, we naturally concluded that he had used the old half for the making of the soup, and at once christened it as, consome la and we can recommend it. After we had grown somewhat tired of the eternal curry and rice, we asked him quietly if he could not make us something else, fearing a rebuff, he stood hesitatingly before us, gazing into nothingness, His face was pallid, his lips hard set, and his stooping figure looking curiously stiff and lifeless on that frozen morning the temperature below freezing point, and our noses were red, too. God bless the man, you know say they, I want ye good chow, why in the name of goodness can't you give us something decent, what on earth did you come for, alas, he shouted, for we were at a rapid, my say they make ye good chow, no have got nothing. No have got nothing. No have got nothing. Mysterious words. What could they mean? Where, then, was our pickle of rice? And our curry? And our sugar. The fellow's a swindler, cried the other man in an angry semitone. But that's all very well. No have got nothing. Ah! There lay the secret. Presently the other man, head of the general commissariat, spoke again with touching eloquence. He gave the boy to understand that we were powerless to alter or soften the conditions of the larder, that we were victims of a horrible destiny, that we entertained no stinging malice towards him personally, but, could he do it? Either a great wrath or a great sorrow overcame the boy, he skulked past, asked us to lie down on our shelves, where we had our beds, to give him room, and then set to work. In 25 minutes we had a three-course meal all out of the same pot, but no matter, and onwards to our destination we fed royally, in parting with the men after our safe arrival at Chongqing, we left with them about seven-eighths of the pickle and were not at all regretful, I should not like to assert because I am telling the truth here that our boat was bewilderingly roomy, as a matter of fact, its length was some forty feet, its width seven feet, its depth much less, and it drew eight inches of water, yet in it we had our bedrooms, our dressing rooms, Our dining rooms. Our library. Our occasional medicine room. Our cooking room and all else. If we stood bolt upright in the saloon amidships we bumped our heads on the bamboo matting which formed an arched roof. On the nose of the boat slept seven men you may question it. Reader. But they did, in the stern. On either side of a great rudder. Slept our boy and a friend of his, and between them and us. Laid out flat on the top of a cellar used by the ship's cook for the storing of rice. Cabbage and other uneatables, and the breeding cage of hundreds of rats, which swarm all around one word are the captain and commodore of that, fresh complexioned, jocose creature, strenuous at opium smoking, through the holes in the curtain a piece of sacking, but one would not wish this to be known dividing them from us, we could see him preparing his globules to smoke before turning in for the night, and despite our frequent raving objections, our words ringing with vibrating abuse. It continued all the way to Chungking. He certainly gazed in disguised wonderment, but we could not get him to say anything bearing upon the matter. Temperature during the day stood at about fifty degrees, and at night went down to about thirty degrees above freezing point. Rains were frequent. Journalistic laborers seated upon the upturned sauciforced, without a cushion, went hard. At night, the Chinese candle, much wick and little wax, stuck in the center of an empty three-castles tin which the boy had used for some days as a pudding dish, gave us light. We generally slept in our overcoats, and as many others as we happened to have. Rats crawled over our incurred bodies, and woke us a dozen times each night by either nibbling our ears or falling bodily from the roof onto our faces. Our joys came not to us they were made on board. The following are the gorges, with a remark or two about each, to be passed through before one reaches Kwefu. Name of Gorge Length Remarks on Gorge 16 miles first and probably one of the finest of the gorges. Niagamaw Mafi 4 miles an hour's journey after or ox liver coming out of the gorge Echon Gorge. If the breeze be favorable, an arduous day's journey during high river. With no wind, miles sang or Rice to miles finest view is obtained Granary Gorge from western extremity, exceedingly precipitous. near or Buffalo very quiet in low water mouth reach season wild stretch during High River. At the head of this reach HMS Woodlark came to grief on her maiden trip. Yurushan Sha or over 30 miles in gloomy mountain length. Grandest gorge and highest gorge en route to Chongqing. Halfway through is the boundary between Hubei and Sichuan. Fangshan last of the gorge's, or Windbucks gorge just beyond is the city of Kuefu. Footnotes, Footnotes E, Wumpan literally Wu of five and Pan of boards is a small boat. The smallest used by travelers on the upper Yangtze. They are of various shapes, made according to the nature of the part of the river on which they ply. E.J.D. Chapter III. The YANGDZ rapids. The following is a rough list of the principal rapids to be negotiated on the river upward from each on. One of the chief discomforts the traveler first experiences is due to a total ignorance of the vicinity of the main rapids, and often, therefore, when he is least expecting it, perhaps he is called upon by the Laoban to go ashore, he has then to pack up the things he values, is dragged ashore himself, his gear follows, and one who has no knowledge of the language and does not know the ropes island therefore, never quite happy for fear of some rapid turning up, by comparing the rapids with the gorges the traveler would, however, from the lists given, be able easily to trace the whereabouts of the more dangerous rushes, which are distributed with alarming frequency on the river between Ichang and Kuefu. Tom 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 or Cave Rapid Low Water Rapid Swirling volume of coffee and milk color, round about a maze of rapids and races. In the Yao Hole Reach Tomling Rapid at the foot of the Ox Liver Gorge An enormous black rock lies amidstream some 40 feet below, or perhaps as much above the surface. But unless experienced at low water will not appeal to the traveler as a rapid, passage dangerous dreaded during low-water season. On December 28, 1900, the German steamer, Sui Xiong, was lost here. She foundered in 25 fathoms of water, with an immense hole ripped in her bottom by the Black Rock, all on board save by the Red Boats, with the exception of the Captain, H.S.I. Anton Rapids O.R. Chintan Rapids during winter quite formidable, the Head, Second and Third Rapids situated in close proximity. The head rapid being far the worders to negotiate. On a bright winter's day, one of the finest spectacles on the upper Yangtze. Rex frequent. Just at head of Oxliver Gorge. yet on wild rapid river reduced suddenly to half its width by an enormous detritus of boulders. Taking the form of a huge jagged tongue. With curling on edges, commonly said to be high when the centon is low. At its worders during early summer and autumn. Rex frequent. After miles sang gorges past. 8 miles from Quechua, near Kyoton Buffalo Mouth Rapid, situated at the head of Buffalo Mouth Reach, said to be more difficult to approach than even the Yatan, because of the great swirls in the bay below. HMS Woodlark came to grief here on her maiden trip upriver. HSI and Otano are dismount horse rapid encountered through the Urashan Shaw or gloomy mountain gorge, particularly nasty during mid-river season, just about here, in 1906 the french gunboat already came within an ace of destruction by losing her rudder immediately like a riderless horse she dashed off headlong for the rocky shore but at the same instant her engines were working astern for all they were worth and fortunately succeeded in taking the way off her just as her nose grazed the rocks and she slid back and damaged into the swirderly bay only to be waltzed round and tossed to and fro by the violent whirlpools however by good luck and management, she was kept from dashing her brains out on the reefs, and eventually brought into a friendly sand patch and safely moored, whilst a wooden jury rudder was rigged, with which she eventually reached her destination. Hashitano R Black Rock Rapid almost at the end of the Wine Box Gorge, Hsi and Long Tano R New Dragon Rapid 25 miles below wanxian sometimes styled Glorious Dragon Rapid it constitutes the last formidable stepping stone during Low River onward to Chungking. was formed by a landslip as recently as 1896, when the whole side of a hill falling into the stream reduced its breadth to less than a fourth of what it was previously, and produced this roaring rapid, this pent-up volume of water, always endeavoring to break away the rocky bonds which have harnessed it, rushes roaring as a huge, tongue-shaped, tumbling mass between its confines of rock and reef, breaking into swift backwash and swirls in the baby low. It lashes back in a white fury at its obstacles. Fortunately for the junk traffic, it improves rapidly with the advent of the early spring freshets, and at mid-level entirely disappears. The Rapid is at its worst during the months of February and March, when it certainly merits the appellation of Glorious Dragon Rapid, presenting a fine spectacle, though perhaps a somewhat fearsome one to the traveler. Who is about to tackle it with his frail bark. A hundred or more wretched-looking trackers, mostly women and children, are tailed onto the three stout bamboo hawsers, and amid a mighty din of rushing water, beating drums, cries of pilots and boatmen, the boat is hauled slowly and painfully over. According to Chinese myths, the landslip which produced the rapid was caused by the following circumstance. The ovar of a dragon being deposited in the bowels of the earth at this particular spot, in due course became hatched out in some mysterious manner, the baby dragon grew and grew, but remained in a dormant state until quite full grown, when, as is the habit of the dragon, it became active, and at the first awakening shook down the hillside by a mighty effort, freed himself from the bowels of the earth, and made his way down river to the sea, hence the landslip, the rapid, and its name, Tiger Rapid, 8 miles beyond Wanxian. Very savage during summer months, but does not exist during low water season. Beyond this point river widens considerably. Twenty-five miles further on travelers should look out for Sheepouch High, or Precious Stone Castle. A remarkable cliff some 250 or 300 feet high. A curious 11-storied pavilion, built up the face of the cliff, contains the stairway to the summit, on which stands a Buddhist temple. There is a legend attached to this remarkable rock that savours very much of the goose with the golden eggs. Once upon a time, from a small natural aperture near the summit, a supply of rice sufficient for the needs of the priests flowed daily into a basin-shaped hole, just large enough to hold the day's supply. The priests, however, thinking to get a larger daily supply, chiseled out the basin-shaped hole to twice its original size, since when the flow of rice ceased, Quan Intano our goddess of murder sea rapid two miles beyond the town of Fengtu. Like the futon. Is an obstacle to navigation only during the summer months. When junks are often obliged to wait for several days for a favorable opportunity to cross the rapid. Chapter IV. Seen at the rapid. Dangers of the Yatan, Gear taken ashore. Intense cold. Further preparation. Engaging the trackers. Fever of excitement. Her nose is put to it. Struggles for mastery, author saves boatmen, 15 knot current, terrific labor on shore, man nearly falls overboard, straining hawsers carry us over safely, the merriment among the men, befundering cataract, trackers chanting, their life, pioneer at the Yadachan, the buffalo mouth reach, story of the woodlark, how she was saved, arrival at Kwaifu. difficulty in landing, laying in provisions, author laid up with malaria, Survey of trade in Shanghai and Hong Kong. Where and why the Britisher fails. Comparison with Germans. Three western provinces and pack horse traffic. Advantages of new railway. Yanks are likely to be abandoned. East India Company. French and British interests. Hint to Hong Kong Chamber of Commerce. Wild shrieking. Frantic yelling. Exhausted groaning. Confusion and clamor. One long, deafening din. A bewildering, maddening mob of reckless terrified human beings rush hither and thither, and seeingly and distractedly, will she go, yes, no, yes, then comes the screeching, the scrunching, the straining, and then a final snap, back we go, shearing helplessly, swayed to and fro, most dangerously by the foaming waters, and almost, but not quite, turned turtle, the red boat follows us anxiously, and watches our timid little craft bump against the rock strewn coast, but we are safe, and raise unconsciously a cry of gratitude to the deity of the river. We were at the Yaditon, or the Wild Rapid, some distance on from the Ichon Gorge, were almost over the growling monster, when the tow-line, straining to its utmost limit, snapped suddenly with little warning, and we drifted in a moment or two away down to last night's anchorage, far below, where we were obliged to bring up the last of the long tear of boats of which we were this morning the first. And now we are ready again to take our turn. Our gear is all taken ashore. Seated on a stone on shore. Watching operations. Is the other man. The sun vainly tries to get through. And the intense cold is almost unendurable. No hitches to occur this time. The toughest and stoutest bamboo hawsers are dexterously brought out. Their inboard ends bound in a flash firmly round the mast close down to the deck. Washed by the great waves of the rapid. Just in front of the midship's pole through which I breathlessly watch proceedings, I want to feel again the sensation. The captain, in essentially the Chinese way, is engaging a crew of demon-faced trackers to haul her over, pouring towards the boat, in a fever of excitement that rises higher every moment. The natural elements of hunger and constant struggle against the great rivers swell their fury, they bellow like wild beasts. They are like beasts. For they have known nothing but struggle all their lives. They have always, since they were tiny children, been fighting this roaring water monster they know none else, and now, as I say, they bellow like beasts, each man ravenously eager to be among the number chosen to earn a few cash, did the arrangement at last is made, and the discordant hubbub, instead of lessening, grows more and more deafening, it is a miserable, desperate, wholly panic-stricken crowd that then harnesses up with their great hooks joined to a rough waist belt with which they connect themselves to the straining tow lines, and now her nose is put into the teeth of this through of treachery a veritable boiling cauldron, stirring up all past mysteries. Waves rush furiously towards us, with the growl of a thousand demons, whose anger is only swelled by the thousands of miles of her course from far away to bed. It seems as if they must instantly devour her, and that we must now go under to swell the number of their victims, but they only beat her back, for she rides gracefully. Faltering timidly with frightened creaks and groans, whilst the waters shiver her frail bulwarks with their cruel message of destruction, which might mean her very death rattle. I get landed in the stomach with the end of a gigantic bamboo boat hook, used by one of the men standing in the bows whose duty is to fend her off the rocks. He falls towards the river. I grab his single garment, give one swift pull, and he comes up again with a jerky little laugh and asks if he has heard me yelling through his hands in my ears for the noise is terrible, to look out over the side makes me giddy, for the fifteen knot current, blustering and bubbling and foaming and leaping, gives one the feeling that he is in an express train tearing through the sea, on shore, far ahead, I can see the trackers struggling forms of men and women, touching each other, grasping each other, wrestling furiously and mightily, straining on all force, now gripping a boulder to aid them forward, now to the right, now to the left, all was fighting for one more inch, and engaged in a task which to one seeing it for the first time looks as if it were quite beyond human effort. Fagged and famished beings are these trackers, whose life day after day, week in week out, is harder than that of the average costermonger's donkey. They throw up their hands in a dumb frenzy of protest and futile appeal to the PR.